are still not well and comfortable related to COVID-19 to be here in person. And so we apologize. I apologize for not acknowledging that because we do believe this, that if you're not able to be here this morning because of those reasons, you are gathering with us online this morning. So thanks for being here. And uh, we just want to acknowledge that. Uh, I would also suggest to you, if you are new, we have uh, on our website, bottom of the page, you can add your email to our e-news list. And that would be helpful because uh, we promise not to spam you, but every Friday we send out an e-newsletter just updating everybody on what's going on here. And there's a lot going on in our church, and particularly throughout the week in missional community groups, etc. And that way we don't have to spam you on Sunday morning with a whole host of announcements. Amen? That's pretty awesome. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah. It's uh, about two-thirds of the way uh, through your Old Testament, sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah, some of the apparently minor prophets. They're not so minor. They just didn't write as much or or uh, prophesy as much as some of the others. Um, We are beginning a series today in the book of Jonah. I am super excited about it. Um, I have to admit to you that uh, two things. Number one, I've always wanted to do a series in this book. And, and despite that, there's always this, this thinking that, well, everybody's heard Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? And, and so what new can you bring to it? Well, I'm going to get into that with you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to suspend belief that you could actually learn something new or find something new, not just from me, obviously, but from the Holy Spirit of God that might speak to you through this series. We're going to take nine weeks. Can you imagine that? There's only four chapters, so we're going to take little bits and hopefully learn a fair bit. I want to read the opening uh, verses this morning, and then I'm going to pray. They won't be on screen, but we will bring them up later. And so beginning in chapter 1, I'm going to read the first three verses with you, and then I'm going to pray one more time. If you have a Bible, that would be a good idea, and you can follow along with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, as we uh, prayed upstairs earlier today, and we we do every uh, Lord's Day, Uh, We just thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for Sunday, the first day of the week, Um, the day that you, Lord Jesus, rose from the dead when something really new began. And so we really thank you, Lord, that you have established this day where we can gather as your church, whether here in person and online, and uh, worship you, lift up our voices, Um, bring bring our gifts and offerings to our friends and family here at the church this morning, in this gathering, and even online, praying for one another during this service, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. You, Holy Spirit, would speak to us. So I just thank you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this man, Jonah, (laughs) to have his story written, presumably by him. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you for acknowledging him in your own life, in your own testimony. And so, Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would teach us as we go into this series today and over the next several weeks. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So uh, like we normally do, you know, you start praying about ministry in the summer, like what should we do in the fall? And it was pretty clear to me that when we came back, we should do this series about the mission, the gathering, and the scattering of the church, which is online if you want to check it out and, and learn more about us and what we believe and why we're doing this. Uh, but also looking forward to the fall and praying about, okay, well, what should we do? <laughs> Where should we go? You know, it's, it's like you can open the Bible and go, okay, let's go here, right? And uh, that would be maybe a Holy Spirit moment, maybe not. Um, and I, it, it was like in June, I think, that it was put on my heart that, you know, we should, we should do Jonah. And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. But you're praying and you're, you're looking for some confirmation, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, like the Holy Spirit typically does. I don't remember it was, but somewhere in late June, early July, I'm just kind of Googling around, looking around about commentaries and things like that. And I see this commentary has been written. It's actually a small little book, commentary written by... Some of you rocksters would know who my favorite preacher is in our day and age, right? Hello, anybody? Yeah, his name is Timothy Keller. <clears throat> He's now retired uh, from uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York. He wrote a little book, commentary on this. And I, I was like, well, got to get the Kindle on that, download it, read it in two days. And I'm like, we're doing Jonah. It was just that much of a confirmation. But it was. It was because... Um, there were just some nuggets in it. Some, he, he, he has this way of seeing things. Uh, he's got a lot of experience as a pastor and, and, quite frankly, as a theologian. And I just loved it. I, and it just solidified in my mind that we should do it. Uh, one aspect that he highlighted in the introduction to his book was that uh, Jonah has several different themes. Uh, theologians and commentators, everyone that I've read on this would say the same thing. It, it's so thematic. It's like four chapters. And, and, and yet the themes are vast. It's incredible. And obviously the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just this man and his life, or at least a snippet of his life. One of the key themes, or many note that one of the key themes, is actually race and nationalism. Let's extend that word. Racism and nationalism. And we might see a little bit of that actually come out in our message today, I think you will. And wow, how relevant is that? 2,000 years later, or more, to today. This man's life will picture that for us. Other themes would all obviously be God, God's call on our lives. I mean, that's, that's how it starts today. It's God calling him to something. Rather dramatic. And of course, that plays out in our lives as Christians because we have been called by Jesus to do what? Go and make disciples. Who make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And so we've been called as well. It's also about the challenge, one theme is, about the challenge of actually trusting God in the everyday, in the midst of our struggles, and especially related to our comfort, our happiness, our contentment with being where he has placed us or where he's calling us to. That's a big theme in this book. And so we're going to see that today. It includes as well, see, we're going to see today going to where he sends us and listen, in many cases, staying where he has put us. <laughs> yes, yes, we're going, to, we're going to go there. Another key theme, and this is the one that really irked Jonah. It really irked him, and we'll see this coming out in the first two chapters, especially, well, the whole book. But we see it even today. It irked him. And it was the theme of God's love, unconditional love, grace and compassion extended to everyone, including outsiders of the Jewish faith, including oppressors. 
wait. Really? Uh-huh. That irked Jonah. Anybody find that a little troublesome? Well, one last theme I, I want to just highlight for you, and it really has to do with our title for today's message, I guess, and that is this. It's, the, it's this theme. You can't run from God. I've tried. <laughs> I used to be really quick in high school and in hockey. We continually try, but we can't. It's one of the most beautiful things about his character and most amazing thing about his, one of his attributes. And it's a good thing. It's because he loves us. He's not going to let us get away. He will pursue us. He will continue to pursue us despite us needing second, third, fourth, as many chances as we need, he's going to continually pursue us to get us to fully trust him. Your sermon title for today is Running from the Call of God. I hope to point out three things from this text. Maybe not a little clear when you look at them. The first is, obviously, it is hearing the call. Secondly, a people in a place. I could have added hearing a call too of people in a place. And thirdly, turning and running. We need to look at that today. So number one, hearing the call. Jonah 1 begins with these words. Now the word of the Lord came. Pause. (laughs) Got to stop there. The word of the Lord came. So first in this brief book, we see that God has the first word. He has the first word in this book. The amazing thing is, if you go to the end of chapter 4, he actually, again, has the last word. Beginning and end. He always does. He has the first word and the last word in this book. But secondly, and more importantly, I'll add, this book is not really about, I know, I know, it's not really about the great fish, right? It's not really about him, and it's not really about the great city Nineveh, or the sad and frankly, as I've already alluded to, racist Jonah, It's about our God. The whole Bible is. It's about who God is and what he has done. But this book, this story, is about him more than anything. I don't know if some of you walked in this morning and saw the graphic that we had on the the wall, the Jonah, it's on our website, it's put up online, uh, designed by our dear uh, Lorraine here. And she was doing it earlier in the week, and she sent me an example of it. And and it was what it is, is what you see now, but there was also a whale in there, right? Because, I mean, it's supposed to be in there, right? And I'm looking at it going, I don't know. I like it. I really like it. But it almost looks like, like Jonah's trying to swim away from the whale. Well, I didn't. And, and then she texted me back. She goes, well, I don't even want the whale in there anyway. And I was like, take him out. Because <laughs> it's not about the fish. It's about our God. He's the God who has and does speak. He commands, he wills, and he causes his will to come to fruition. He causes his will to come to fruition. The book of Jonah is about our God who is, who has done great things, and the God who will do even greater things. He's a personal God who deeply desires to be in a relationship with all of his creation, with every soul that has ever walked this planet. That's who he is. So the book opens with a clear declaration that his word came to Jonah, and Jonah heard him, literally, with his ears, heard him. He didn't merely have a sense that this was happening, that he was hearing something. It wasn't a small, still voice that came to him in this particular case, or a little nudging, a prompting. It wasn't that. 
He didn't have a dream either. Now, some prophets have received prophecies from the Lord in a dream. And they've heard the voice of God in a dream. Not this case. This is the voice of God coming to Jonah literally. Jonah heard the very words of God speaking to him. Another book I've been reading, rereading, I should say, fantastic book by Francis Schaeffer. If you don't know him, you should look him up. Uh, he coined the phrase entitled his first published book, The God Who Is There. And, and, and he, want, he used that phrase because he wanted to make the point that we need to understand something about this God. He, he's not a guy sitting up in, you know, in the clouds in a, in a rocking chair with a white beard, right? He's not that guy, right? He, he's not a figment of our imagination. He's not just in our heart, you know. He, He's not just that. He's really there. He's really there. The God who is there is a real metaphysical person, and as such, he does what personhood does. And in his case, he creates all things. And in his case, he speaks, he communicates. And he speaks specifically to his creatures who he created in his own image. You and I. And again, because he wants to truly have a relationship with us. He wants us to hear him. His very words being spoken to us. I love uh, how Hebrews opens. I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to put it on screen. Because the author writes this in the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and by the prophets but in these last days has spoken to us by his son. Pause there. He spoke literally to prophets in the Old Testament. They wrote down what he said. They did what he commanded. And we know, I hope you know, that Jesus lived as a human being and as fully God. And he spoke words. And every word that he spoke was, the Word of God. He is the Word of God in the flesh. Whom he, God, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And of course, from the time of Jesus, what, what he did in speaking the Word and discipling the apostles and the disciples that followed him is he passed his Word on to them, and then he prayed to the Father on the day of Pentecost and sent the Holy Spirit to the apostles and all the disciples, and they too were filled with the Spirit, and then they communicated, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the very words of God. That's why we literally believe in the Scripture, the Bible, as the inspired word of God. Do you want to hear God? Read the book. Read the book. You will hear him literally. It's his word. That's what's been given to us. It's a beautiful thing. So friends, let's also see one of the key attributes of God in these opening verses. I love this. It's one of the key attributes that he has. He initiates. He starts everything. But in this story, he's the initiator. And as far as we know, look, as far as I know anyway, from the history here and what's been written about uh, uh, Jonah and Kings, etc., but also here, it, it's, it's not like he was, you know, we don't read or get the sense that he was sitting there asking for a call from the Lord. Like, Lord, what should I do with my life? We don't read that. We don't get that sense. In fact, the, the idea we would get is, is that he was just going about his everyday life as a relatively faithful minor prophet in Israel, the people of Israel, as a Hebrew, and was, was not looking for this call, right? 
I want you to think about this call as we look at it this morning. Do you want this call? Because I'll tell you a place in the cosmos in the world that might be similar to it today. So we've we got to forgive him a little bit for the way that he responds to this. So he receives this call. He's a prophet during the reign of a king, uh, Jeroboam II, approximately in the period about 786 to 746 BC is when he lived and was a prophet underneath that king. And so we know this. He, he wasn't praying for a word or a calling, but he received it. He heard it very clearly. And so, again, what we see with God is he initiates. He makes the first move. He has a purpose for everything that he's doing, as we will see. So it goes on, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So as I've already mentioned or alluded to, Jonah is a, a, a literal, historical human being. You know, you, you see in the, the title of our, our screen or in our um, series, it's called A Whale of a Tale, right? I can't help it. I, I love coming up with, you know, it's just, it's a whale of a tale. Well, he's a historical human being. It's, it's recorded here in the scripture that he really was a minor prophet during these days. In fact, one of the things that we know from the Jewish people is that they, they, they held such and, and recorded such detailed genealogies. The fact of the matter is, if he did not exist, if this story had been written and dropped into the people of Israel, into their, their Torah, into their books, into their literature, they would be going, excuse me, we need to verify this story because it sounds like a whale of a tale, right? Who is this guy? Did he actually live? There was nobody questioning it. It's one of the things I want to suggest to you that we should believe this story. We should believe it. On the other hand, there's still the question, right? Come on. There's a question. Is it a tale? Is it a a fantasy? Or as some commentators um, suggest, merely a parable? Well... Did Jonah actually fall into the sea, get saved from the storm by being swallowed up by a great fish and stay alive in the stomach of a fish for three days and three nights and then get vomited up onto the shore alive? Do I need to believe that to be a Christian? I'll leave that between you and the Lord, okay? I love the way Timothy Keller puts it in his little booklet. He said this, How you respond to this will depend on how you read the rest of the Bible. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a far greater miracle, then there is nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. On that note, Jesus himself appears to affirm the story as true. And more importantly, that it was a picture of what would happen to him. If you remember from Matthew 12, the Pharisees are like, Okay, dude, listen, if we're really going to believe that you're the Son of God, that you're the Messiah, we need to see another sign. You've got to do some other miracle. Some other, you gotta, he's been doing them all over the place, constantly. They've seen them. But they want one more. Jesus says to them, no. I'm not going to give you any other signs except this one. And he says in Matthew 12, 40, for just as so, Jonah, look at this, was, words of Jesus Christ, was, Three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let me ask you a serious question. Did Jesus die and was he buried and dead in the earth for three days and three nights? Please say amen. (laughs) 
So spoiler alert here. But as we are going to see, and I'm sure most of you know, Jonah eventually does go to Nineveh. He eventually does go and preach to these people, right? Uh, and they do eventually repent. That's incredible, especially as we're going to see what kind of people they were. And Jesus confirms it again in the same passage in Matthew. The very next verse, he says, The men of Nineveh, look at this, will rise. In the end, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Me. Jesus Christ. So finally, on the question of a little interpretation, the overall evidence is that we should, I would suggest, we should believe it. We should trust it. And that said, let me also say this. Let's not get distracted by the fish, okay? He's in two verses. It's not about him. It's not about him. It appears in just two verses and with no other details. It's a little bit like in Genesis 1 when it says, and he created the stars also. Excuse me. The stars is the whole cosmos, the whole thing, and that's all we're given. But he created that. He spoke it into existence. So that's number one. He heard the call. He heard it very clearly. Now here it is. And point number two is to a people in a place. The Lord God said to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the word of the Lord has come to Jonah, and we now hear what Jonah actually heard. The Lord is essentially saying in the word arise, wake up. I'm trying to get your attention here. Wake up, and then notice. He doesn't suggest to Jonah, listen, listen, in your spare time, if, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, like, you know, I, I thought it might be a good idea, right? It's not presented that way. This is a call with a command that he's giving to him. He commands him to go to Nineveh, that great city, and listen, here's what I want you to do when you get there, Jonah. I want you to call them out for their sin. Hey, Squamish, you're a bunch of sinners. You want to do that tomorrow with me? On Cleveland, anybody want to? I'm Jonah, cut him some slack. You want me to do what? Why? This is the important part, because God sees it. He sees their sin. He sees it all. He sees the injustice. He sees the the terrible things these people are doing. He cares about both repentance and salvation of his enemies, but he also cares about justice. Of course he does. Of course he does. Now, if we think about this word of the Lord to the prophet Jonah from the perspective of the Jewish people in that day, a few things would stand out. The language was not surprising, it was, as it was very traditional uh, for them to do this, to, to speak or be, be given language like this, that this is a call to a prophet. But the specifics that are given to Jonah are actually really unusual, really unusual. First, to hear the Lord calling a Hebrew prophet to leave Israel and to go to a pagan Gentile city was incredibly unusual. Typically, they were sent to their own people in their own cities to call them out for their unfaithfulness to God and call them back to God. Well, that's a good thing. These are our people. We're supposed to be the people of Israel. We're supposed to be good Christians. Let's keep it in-house. 
That's who God really cares for. But secondly, it was unheard of that a Hebrew prophet would go and warn, listen, a foreign nation and, people of their, uh, and the people of that foreign nation of their impending doom that if they don't repent, God's going to judge them and they're going to probably be wiped out. And, and listen, here's the problem with that. Anytime God offers this kind of thing, it's on the basis of if you repent, I'll forgive you. Jonah and the people of Israel reading this have got to be going, you're kidding me, right? You'd, you'd forgive people like this who live this way? So this would, in the people's minds, create serious questions about God's sense of justice. So what was this place Nineveh really like? Mm. <laughs> well, it was in the heart of the Assyrian Empire and was very, very well known for being evil on a level of uh, egregious levels that, I mean, we, we can almost not imagine today. I mean, you, I'm sure you can think of places in our world today where it's pretty bad. Th- their uh, scale was unimaginable. Uh, unimaginable. Like, I mean, I, I, you can read in history. I'm not going to list some of the things that they would do to people who they would capture, enemies, even to their own people who didn't fall in line. But it was brutal. It was absolutely horrific. Their forms of torture and punishment were legendary for their brutality and even amongst their own people for their almost demonic activity in the way that they would go about this. It was horrible. Add to that that they were also incredibly sexually immoral, like anything goes. And they they worshipped goddesses and prostitution. They worshipped these things. Imagine a combination in our day, and I'm just going to call it what it is, but just imagine Taliban rule and the most promiscuous cities on the globe in the same place. Just imagine that combination. Now, I think in our day and age, it's, it's some, some people are like, well, the second one's not that terribly bad, but the Taliban's terrible. But to the people in Israel at that day, it was like, no, no, it's not just the, it's not just the individuals, the combination, is, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrible. This is Nineveh. This is the place he's being sent to. So imagine getting that call today to Afghanistan. You ready? Want to get your tickets? This is the call. It could be Turkey. It could be China. I mean, there's a number of places that you get that call to, and you'd be like, really? Really? So now maybe we understand Jonah's feelings and his thinking a little bit. When he's thinking like, come on, Lord, forget that. You're sending me to my death. That's what you're doing. You're you're literally sending me to my death. That's his first thought. It's got to be, right? And for what? For those people? But listen, it's important for us to see this. That nation in that day, those people were on God's heart too. They were on God's heart too. And he wanted to see them repent and be saved. But that's not all we should see. No. The Lord had something in mind for Jonah too. There was a lot for Jonah to learn here, right? A lot. Not just for Jonah. For most of the people in Israel in that day. Not just for the people in Israel in that day. Maybe for many of us. 
And then there's, of course, who God chooses. Jonah was known by the people of Israel also as a, a proudly patriotic nationalist. He would have been for the empowerment of his own government. In fact, he would have been, he would have been voting for it. Yeah, let's build up arms and let's go and wipe these dudes out. That would be the way to handle the evil. That would be exactly what he thought should be done. But God calls Jonah and he called him to this people and to that place. I've told many of you before this story of um, Janice and I and our call to come here and plant this church. It's a long story, uh, leaving the business world at 50 years of age, going to seminary to brush up on theology to make sure I actually knew in part what I was talking about and before coming here. But we were just praying about, okay, where do we go? And at first I was just praying for a church somewhere in British Columbia and then the whole idea of church planting came on our, our radar. I had a fortuitous coffee one day with an old friend, used to be a client of mine in my business life in Langley, and uh, he's now lead, heading up church planting in British Columbia for our denomination. And I, I went to talk to him about a certain problem I was having with his ex-boss, a marketing client of mine, even though I was still in seminary, in seminary at that time. Anyway, I'm talking with my buddy Gord, and we're having a coffee, and I'm like, uh, yeah, we're just uh, you know, praying about uh, looking for a community here in uh, British Columbia somewhere that God would call us to, and I can become the pastor and preacher, because that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to preach God's word, right? And Gord looks at me and goes, Glenn, you're a church planter, dude. You're not a, you're not a, you're not a traditional pastor. You're, you're a starter. You're an initiate. I mean, we're good friends for 20 years, right? And I said to him, like, oh, Gord, come on. Really? Seriously? He goes, no, actually, the weirdest thing. You called me two days ago, and you asked me um, uh, to have a coffee. And that very day, some people came to our office, handed in the keys to a church that had closed its door in a community. And as soon as I, I, I heard about you wanting to have a coffee and you leaving the business world to become a pastor, I thought, man, that's, a, that's Glenn's background. That's the kind of community. I'm, I'm an ex-rock and roll, long-haired, hippie. Anyway, and uh, I said to him, I said, well, wh- where is that? He goes, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He goes, no, no, we, we don't work that way in church planning. Well, we, here's how we work, Glenn. Church planner has to come to us and say, a, part, a people in a place around my heart, downtown east side of Vancouver, Surrey, Lord, please no. Um, okay, uh, whatever. So I said to him, I said, well, Gord, you tell me where the community is. And he goes, Glenn, I can't do that. You know, you have to have a call to a people in a place. So I literally, in my mind, like Janice and I had been praying for a few years, and we, we loved a couple of places, not because we loved the place, but we felt a call that maybe that would be a place to go. Wouldn't be easy, but it might be a place to go. So I said to him, well, I, I've got two places in my mind, and you tell me, I'll tell you if you want to. He goes, nope, you tell me the two places. I'm like, oh, this is frustrating. So I said, okay, Salt Spring and Squamish. Salt Spring, land of the hippies. My sister lives there. As soon as I said those words, he, he looked at me, his eyes opened up, and he went, Glenn, the keys came from Squamish. called to a people in a place. You really should know that even if you're not planting a church. Called to a people in a place. Number three, final point for today, choosing our own way. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So what do we have here? To this point in his life, from the best we can surmise, he's been a faithful Hebrew prophet. How old is he? And God's putting this call on his life, right? It's understandable. The word of the Lord has come to him. Um, 
before, but this time he flees from the presence of the Lord. And so remember what I said earlier, good luck with that, right? Good luck with running from God. So what's really happening here with our prophet Jonah? Why is he running from the call of God? Well, I think there's a few reasons. First, Jonah doubts God, doesn't he? He just doubts him. It's full on. I, just, I, I don't think you know what you're doing. And so there's doubt all over the place here. And it's maybe for the first time in his life. Certainly he doubts him enough to say, yeah, not me. Find someone else. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm headed that direction. At the heart of it for Jonah is this. He doubted God was good. That what he was calling him to do and for whom was not a good idea. Everything in his mind, every bit of logic that he could, he could think of said, this is crazy. You're either not who I thought you were or you're not who I want you to be. One of those two things. And certainly it's, his question is about his sense of justice. So my question for you is, and myself, have you ever had that happen to you in your life? I suggest to you that we all question God's goodness when he either allows or brings circumstances into our lives that we do not think are good at all. Ever had that happen? Whether sickness or serious disease or loss of a loved one, finding or losing a well-paying job or career, meeting the love of my life or having them break up with you or leave you? Or what about when we see what's going on in our world? You all know what the anniversary was about yesterday, right? 20 years ago. I still look at the... I had to turn it off yesterday, looking at the videos of those airplanes. The memory is horrible. It's, it's times like these when we ask ourselves, just, just God, where are you? Like, number one, where are you? And Do you care? What are you doing? So here's the dilemma for all of us. The dilemma is, do we trust God at moments like that, or do we trust ourselves? So I don't know about you, but what way do you think it generally goes? I, I, I trust him for a week, maybe two. <laughs> like, it's hard. So you know how that went for them and for us. Jonah will learn that lesson too. Um, I love this. Again, I I picked this up from Keller's book, and and that is this. There there are two ways to run that you see in this book. One of them I just want to highlight for you briefly, but it's beautiful. I, I hadn't seen this before ever in studying Jonah. But the first way is, uh, and it's actually this commentary that I read, it's interesting. Uh, Tim Keller titled this commentary, The Prodigal Prophet. Now, that got my attention. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he's seen a relationship between this particular book and the prodigal of the sons. The prodigal sons, right? And, and he makes this relationship to say, if you look at this book and, and if, you, if you read it carefully, what you're going to see is this. You're going to see the first two chapters of Jonah are Jonah playing the younger brother role. He's, he's been called by God. He's been raised by his father in a, in a wonderful situation. But he says, yeah, you know what? I don't want you anymore, but I want what you have. And I want to go and live my own life in my own place that I think is best for me. I want Tarshish. Well, the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son does just that. 
he runs off and squanders his father's inheritance that he gives to him on wine, woman, and song, and he ends up destitute. The older brother, on the other hand, is faithful, and, 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 and he's, you know, he's there with his, his father, and he's there to the very end, right? And that's the last two chapters of Jonah, as we're going to see. It's like an amazing parallel. And in fact, Keller would suggest that he thinks that when Jesus gave that parable, he was thinking of Jonah. The relationship is too amazing. It's beautiful, actually. And so, of course, you know what this happened with the older brother. Well, the older brother was livid, right? The younger brother comes home. He's like completely wasted his life. He, he totally disrespected his father. And yet he comes home and the father's like, kill the fatty calf, put the ring on his finger, give him the garment. Woo! My, my son's home. And the elder son is, you're out of your mind. I don't respect you at all. Jonah. So the suggestion is Jonah takes turn, act, his turns acting as both the younger brother and the older brother in these chapters. It's amazing. But there's also, I want to show you this, there's also two cities, two cities in this story. And I also want to suggest to you that in every decision you and I have to make, there's two things that we have to decide amongst or between almost every time. So the opening of our story, as we've seen so far, is about the Lord calling the prophet to go to a people, a place that the Lord God wants to call to repentance and one would assume to his mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Then there's the two ways that we can run, which we see here in in the comparison with the younger and the older sons in the parable. But there's also the story of these two cities, two very, very different cities that represent two directions we may take when we run. Of course, Nineveh, I've already highlighted some of the things to you about Nineveh. We've already seen that, the violence and, and the disregard for human life. It was landlocked city. It was like in the midst of a desert. It wasn't actually that pretty, right? And, and it, was, it was a place and the people were like the enemy state of the people of Israel. They were opposed. To, to, it was terrible. It was a holy place. And it was noteworthy in the news, but a far cry it wasn't the kind of place that you'd put on your bucket list. That's where I want to go. Anybody want to go to Afghanistan? I don't mean right now, but in general. <laughs> like, you called there. The Sahara. Well, it would be good to see it for a day, just to see the beautiful... But Tarshish, on the other hand, was a lovely Mediterranean resort by comparison. Far from the hustle, the bustle, and the evils of the big city. It was known for its temperate climate, with light and lovely breezes, kind of like a moderate temperature all the time, 75, 76. Okay, some of you would like a little higher, but, you know, all the time. It's just every day, sunny. Culturally, Tarshish was rich and peaceful. It was definitely a desirable place to be or to dream about being. The call to Nineveh would have been really hard. You would, if you had to assess it, if you, were, if you were Jonah or even any one of us here, if you thought about it, you'd be like, okay, look, okay, wow, Whew going to have to start pretty quiet, you know, just like person to person sharing, repent. God's going to blow you guys up if you don't, right? And it's going to take years and years of sowing seeds and not getting killed and sowing seeds and sowing seeds. I mean, just in your mind, but I could go to Tarshish and they would love my preaching. Maybe not. I think the comparison would be something like, and this is a place that I love, but it would be like Afghanistan versus Maui, okay? I know where almost all of us would choose. So what do you think? Was it just that Jonah was trying to avoid Nineveh, or was that 
listen, was it that he always wanted Tarshish? Did he always want that kind of life? At the end of the day, did he, did, was he looking for freedom 55? Lord, I've, see, I've served you as a minor prophet for a long time. I wanted to be a major, but I'm a minor. I'm okay with that, but come on. Was it for fear of what would happen to him in Nineveh or that Tarshish was just going to be blissful, a great life, great retirement? Was his racist, nationalistic pride making him think he was too good for the Ninevites? I don't know. We don't really know. We can make some assumptions, but the question for you and I today is this. Have you ever faced a decision like that? A, a Nineveh versus a Tarshish decision. Listen, it's not just about a call to a people in a place. It's about a call to a job, a career, to another person in a relationship. It's just about anything that happens in our lives. That's the choice that we're being asked to make. And so as we've already noted, but it bears repeating, he doubted God's goodness. He doubted almost everything at this point about God's heart, about his wisdom, and about his, mis- his mission. So let me, in closing, be really honest with us. We all have this exact same choice, as I've suggested, if we are to follow the call that Jesus has put on our lives to go and make disciples. We have the choice to run from where we have been called to, and we all have two cities, two places, two destinations to choose from. The one that is perfect in our own minds, the one God would obviously want for us if he really did love us so much, and cared for us so much, or surprise, the people and the city that he wants you to go to or listen, stay in to make disciples among. That's our decision individually. That's your decision personally. That's our decision as a church. I want to leave you this morning with two questions that you can maybe ask for yourself, but also in Missional Community Group next week. Uh, if your group is meeting starting next week. First question is, how in your life have you temp- have you, are you tempted pardon me, to choose Tarshish over Nineveh? Second question is, what are you tempted to choose over God's mission? And why? I'll leave them on screen while I pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for your prophet. Thank you that you you record stories um, all the time about people who you, you, you clearly love, but people who are just like us. And you teach us such valuable and incredible lessons. So I thank you so much for this time that we get to look at Jonah and the story. But Father God, I thank you more for the time where we get to know you better. We get to know your heart. We come to trust you more every day. We trust you for our salvation and we trust you for our life. And we trust you for our eternity. So I thank you so much. 
I thank you for these men and women here today hearing these words fully from you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would, starting with my own heart, I pray that you would bless every heart who hears. And I pray that we would be encouraged to trust you with our whole lives every day. In Jesus' name I pray.